morning. This is the Clark County Board of Equalization hearing for February 22nd, 2024. The county clerk has informed us that this meeting's been posted and properly noticed. At this time, can we please call the roll? Terry Farr. Present. Luke Adamo. Tammy Campa. Here. Evan Raines. Here. Suzette Wheeler. Present. Thank you. My motion to adopt the agenda. Please cast your votes. That motion passes. Before we start, microphone is open for any public comment. Does anybody have anything to address the board with? Seeing none, I will close the microphone. At this time, we need to swear in the petitioners, anyone who intends to testify on behalf of the petitioners and members of the assessor's office. Please stand and face the county clerk to be sworn in. Do you solemnly swear that the testimony you are about to give during the course of this hearing is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Thank you. Now we have a statement from the district attorney's office on what the Board of Equalization is and is not allowed to do. The County Board of Equalization may determine the value of any property the county assessor assesses and may change and correct any valuation found to be incorrect to make it conform to the taxable value of the property. Any taxpayer who claims overvaluation of its real or secured personal property by reason of undervaluation or non-assessment of another taxpayer's property within any county of the state may appeal to the County Board of Equalization in the county where the property is located concerning the assessed value and present evidence. If the County Board of Equalization finds merit in the complaint, it shall increase the value of the property complained of to conform to its taxable value. A taxpayer who believes that his or her property was assessed at a higher value than another property, identical in use and comparable in location, may appeal the assessment to the County Board of Equalization. If the board finds that an inequity exists in the assessment of the value of the land or improvements or both, the board may add to or deduct from the value of the appellant's land or improvements or both, or to the property to which it is compared to equalize the assessment. A taxpayer who believes that the full cash value of his or her property is less than its taxable value computed for the current assessment year may appeal to the County Board of Equalization. If the board agrees, it may correct the land value or fix a percentage of obsolescence to be deducted from the taxable value of improvements or both to equalize the taxable and full cash value. A public officer cannot act on a matter that would reasonably be affected by the public officer's commitment in a private capacity without disclosing information in public to the chair and other members of this body. In addition, a public officer shall not vote upon or advocate the passage or failure of a matter with respect to which the independence of judgment of a reasonable person in the public officer's situation would be materially affected by the officer's acceptance of a gift or loan, the officer's significant pecuniary interest, or the officer's commitment in a private capacity to the interests of another person. Thank you. Agenda item six, discussion of possible action on the 23-24 and 24-25 assessor recommendations from attachment one. 
Yes, Chairman Farr, this is Marianne Widener with the Assessor's Office um, and Secretary. Um, you'll find those on page six of the addendum, or the, I'm sorry, of the agenda. Thank you. A motion to accept the assessor's recommendations on page six of the agenda. Please cast your votes. And that motion passes. Agenda item seven, discussion of possible action of the assessor recommendations for approval of property tax exemptions submitted after June 15th. Chairman Farr, you will find these on page 14. These are exemptions, um, applications that were received in our office as it stated after June 15th. The assessor is recommending that you accept um, the exemptions and you approve them for that fiscal year. And you will find those on page 14. I motion that we accept the assessor's recommendations starting on page 14. Please cast your votes. Motion passes. Notices of appearance. Chairman Farr, um, the first notice of appearance begins on page 334, and actually all three of these, uh, 334, 335, and 336, are all the same issue. Um, I'm going to ask Mr. Anderley to actually pass out um, an addendum here, and I don't know that this particular piece of information is going to be relevant to your decision, but we want to include it just in case the petitioner does decide to appeal to the state board. So if you turn to page, actually I'm gonna read the statute that applies to this particular notice of appearance. Um, NRS 361.340, um, section 11. Um, in there it says, every appeal to the County Board of Equalization must be filed no later than January 15th. If January 15th falls on a Saturday, Sunday, or legal holiday, the appeal may be filed on the next business day. Uh, there are other statutes that reference the same date uh, that has, where the appeal has to be filed. Um, in this instance, and if you turn to page 388 in the master book, um, you will see that we have a copy of the envelope that was mailed on. I know it's kind of hard to see, but the date that it was postmarked was January 20th. Um, NRS 361.342 says the date of a postmark deems date of filing of an appeal. And it says um, in section two of that, if the postmark date on an envelope in which an appeal was mailed is illegible or omitted, the appeal may be deemed filed on the date it was received by the county. Um, but other than that, it says, except as provided in subsection two, an appeal to the county board of equalization um, filed by mail shall be deemed to be filed on the date of the postmark dated by the post office on the envelope in which the appeal was mailed. And in this case, the date is January 20th, which is past the deadline of January 16th for this year as January 15th fell on a holiday. Um, further, I wanna point out to you, and I, I think it's important for the board to note this because you don't see a lot of these because many times the tax reps will actually withdraw them <laughs> when we point out the errors. But if you point to page 386, which is the second page of this appeal form where it has a signature of a George Devani as the owner, and you'll see the date there, it says 32123, and you can see that it looks like somebody kind of copied and pasted that image 
onto the appeal form. We would not consider that a valid signature, first of all. The other thing I want to note is this appeal form could not even have been um, prepared until December of this year, December of, sorry, December of 2023, and the date on there says March of 2023. So it's not even a valid appeal form. Even if it had been filed on time, we would have had an objection to this particular appeal form, and I, I wanted to make note of that because I know the board feels like sometimes we come down kind of hard on these, but there's reasons because we do get these kinds of filings. Uh, from time to time, and, and that's the reason why we go through the verification process. Um, the additional information that was submitted to you, um, the, the person that filed this particular appeal requested the appeal form on December 28th. Um, we sent them the same day, and that's where that email comes into play, where there was some correspondence back and forth with regards to an agent authorization that they had filed prior to filing an appeal form. They did not send that letter of authorization in with the appeal form, but because we were able to track that down, we just wanted to have that available in the record. We don't believe it's relevant in your decision today because it was simply a late filing. So based on that, we're recommending that you do not take jurisdiction on case 334, 335, and 336. Any discussion? Based on the information provided in testimony contained herein, I motion to deny jurisdiction on cases 334, 335, and 336. Please cast your votes. That motion passes. There are no additional notices of appearance, so we can move on to reviewing the procedural rules. Great, thank you. Hearings recorded and part of the public record. It is difficult to transcribe the hearings with concurrent multiple voices. Please do not speak if another party has the floor. If you have the floor, please speak clearly into the microphone. Please note, we do not discuss property taxes in these hearings. Your net property taxes may not be affected by the outcome of your case. The procedural rules relative to presenting appeals are as follows. When we call your case, please come up to the podium, state your name and address into the microphone for the record. The assessor will briefly describe the property to the board. You will then present evidence for your case. The assessor staff will provide their evidence to support the assessor's opinion of the taxable value. You may then respond to the assessor's case, but you are limited to the rebuttal of evidence presented by the assessor. Please keep comments limited specifically to your case. Please do not address the assessor staff. The board will ask questions of the petitioner or the assessor staff. The board will then discuss the testimony and information provided and move forward with the decision. If you or the assessor's office are unhappy with the board's decision, both parties have the right to appeal with the State Board of Equalization. Appeal forms are in the hallway outside the doors to the chambers. Do we have any administrative business? There are no additional withdrawals or stipulations as of this time, so we can move on to the item number 11. Great, let's get started with uh, case 31, East Sahara Senior Housing LP. Chairman Farr. Yes. Um, the next three cases, I just wanted to make the board aware, um, they're unique in the sense that these are not valuation cases, they are exemption cases. Um, we are going to have uh, the assessors introduce the, some of the information regarding the exemptions. 
Um, and then you, of course, will allow the petitioner to um, testify to the reasons why they believe their exemption should not have been denied. And the assessor will then give you more of the detail on why they denied the exemption. We just wanted to let you know that because sometimes in these uh, hearings, it's a little different than the valuation um, hearing where you're actually hearing based on value. So um, the assessor is going to introduce the case um, and then we are going to let the petitioner put on why they believe they should not have been denied and then the assessor will finish with putting in additional information and then the petitioner can certainly rebut that. Are we hearing them collectively or individually? I believe they're all the same issue. Can we hear them collectively? Yes, so we can hear them collectively if, the, if that's not a problem for the petitioner. Any objection? I'm sorry, and, well, first of all, state your name and address for the record. Uh, George Jacobus, 2655 South Rainbow Boulevard, Suite 401. And will you concur it should be heard uh, altogether? Okay, can I ask you to step a little closer to the microphone oh, so we can hear I'm you sorry. a little bit better? Thank you. Ma'am? Um, good morning. Nadine Morton, uh, counsel for uh, George Jacobus Incorporated. Thank you. And for the record, you would like to have all the cases combined? Yes, sir. Okay, so we're combining cases 31, 32, and 33. Ms. Henry? Good morning, Sharon Henry, Clark County Assessor. The subject three parcels located at 1014 East Sahara Avenue is 0.13 acre parcels each, consisting of 5,663 square foot each used for commercial land for parking. The property is located near Sahara and Maryland Parkway. This appeal is for an exemption for the 2023-24 fiscal year. There is no appeal value. The appellant applied for the low income housing exemption for the fiscal year 2023-24. The appellant was denied because they failed to provide information showing that the subject parcel were part of a qualified low income housing project funded in part by the home funds by June 15th deadline. The assessor's office recommends maintaining the non-exemption status according to our DA's opinion. Thank you. Sir? And ladies and gentlemen, respectfully, we would ask for uh, tax exemption on the three parcels because number one, those three parcels, they have been merged and subdivided into one deed, which has been uh, deed restricted. And number two, that is evidenced by file 130, page 12, that's the parcel map. Uh, further evidence um, that they are deed restricted and in one um, parcel is evidenced in a recorded home fund document um, by through, of Clark County in two city recorded home fund documents. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, just by for purposes of a roadmap, there was one parcel owned by city um, East Sahara Partnership, East Sahara Partnership, otherwise known as city impact. It was a affordable housing. It then purchased a building and three parcels. One was a building and uh, two parking lots. And that purpose to do that was to provide uh, seniors with uh, safe parking because they had to walk further. Um, so those, uh, those three parcels were then uh, paved, landscaped, and um, developed into parking. And those three parcels were then um, purchased under the East Sahara Partnership, okay, which is deed restricted. 
Um, that process took approximately about a year. It didn't get finalized until approximately June 17, 2023. Um, but all the steps have been taken to put that in place, which the steps, everything has now been completed and, and can be verified that it is um, deed restricted and under one parcel, which is the East Sahara Limited Partnership. Um, nevertheless, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were honoring the taxes and we were not delinquent and those taxes have been paid. But at this point going forward, ladies and gentlemen, we believe that there's sufficient substantial evidence that evidences that um, there is deed restriction and it's under one parcel, therefore it does qualify for um, the tax exemption. Anything else on your case? The only thing I want to say is we do meet the NRS 361.082, affordable housing developments uh, are allowed tax exemption under the, the statutes. We have been doing this for 30 years now and developed thousands of units across Clark County and every one of our properties have tax exemption. We, it was necessary for us to, after our property was built, to acquire additional parking for our seniors because when we developed the property, we had a shared parking agreement with our adjoining neighbor, uh, the church. But it just got to the point where there was so much homeless in that particular area. Uh, it was very frightening for them to walk back and forth at night to their automobiles. These parcels were, were purchased uh, by the partnership, owned by the partnership last year prior to this tax year. It just took what took normally two months to perform a, a merger and resubdivision took nearly a year. So you know, when, we, uh, when we applied again this May, uh, we, the map was not recorded yet. Uh, the city of Las Vegas had two home fund agreements recorded against the property and Clark County had one home fund agreement recorded. We had to go back uh, and amend those documents because of the three parcels that we were bringing in. Uh, and it just took, it was going back and forth between council and council. That was the process. But it was purchased a year prior uh, before the tax rolled. So we asked you please uh, waive the exemption. Make, make it part of uh, honoring the 2023 tax year. Well, let's see what the assessor has to say, Ms. Henry. Good morning, Lisa Loxon from the Clark County Assessor's Office. So um, I believe the timing is the issue in this one. So the statute um, that applies is the regulation NAC 361-089. And in that regulation, it requires no later than June 15th of every year um, an application uh, must be submitted showing that the low-income housing project was funded in part by federal money. So as um, the petitioner has testified here, they purchased this property, but they were not um, able to um, get the home funds recorded on the property until after the June 15th deadline. So this property would be eligible for exemption in the upcoming tax year because those um, deed restrictions um, are effective. I think it's on page 60 there where the um, city of Las Vegas has um, amended their home funds. So that would be the evidence in which the assessor would need to um, provide an exemption for this property. Um, but that information was not available by June 15th. So therefore the assessor's office has to deny 
the tax exemption because it was not part of the federal, uh, I'm sorry, of the qualified low-income housing um, project because it wasn't part of the home funds. So while the project started in 2019 was eligible for those home funds, the addition of those additional parcels were not subject to the federal restrictions, which is basically affordability restrictions. And so until those affordability restrictions are in place, it doesn't qualify for an exemption. And they weren't in place by the June 15th deadline that's in statute. So therefore the assessor's office um, is required to deny it. Any rebuttal to the assessor's testimony? I'm going to disagree uh, with the assessor's office because it was vested and deeded in the name of East Sahara Senior Housing Limited Partnership. That is the partnership that has the tax exemption. You know, these are affordable housing developments for seniors. We have to have tax exemption, and that's the reason NRS established that code uh, years ago because we have they're affordable. And for us to keep them affordable, we have to have tax exemption. So I'm hearing that the assessor has to deny it, but do we have to deny it? We don't, do we? Okay, well, I think the intention was to be tax exempt. I think all of them are tax exempt. I think that it's a timing issue, which isn't their fault. And um, so I'm gonna make a motion that, it, that we not deny their tax exemption. I do a double negative somewhere. <laughs> 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 so that we allow. allow the proponents tax exemption, yes. Motion's been made, please cast your votes. Motion passes. Thank you. Thank you. Can I also have someone come down here and help me get my master book back up? Next case is 516 uh, Digital Desert BPR1 LLC. Petitioner, please state your name and address under the record, please. Yes, good morning, Mr. Chairman. My name is Matt Morris. I'm counsel for the, uh, for the petitioner, Digital Desert. I'm an attorney with Holland and Hart, 9555 Hillwood Drive, Las Vegas, 89134. Thank you. Mr. Brown. Hi, Mr. Uh, Kowalski, for the record. Um, this appeals for the same property, but two different fiscal years. We were wondering if we could actually hear the supplemental, which is 517. It just take them out of sequence? Yep. So okay. that would be for the 23-24 um, fiscal year. I'm going off the order they gave me, man. I hear you. Uh, so we're going to change the case number to 517. Please, for procedural reasons, please state your name and address for the record. Not a problem. Uh, my name is, again, Matt Morris for the record. I'm an attorney with Holland and Hart, 9555 Hillwood Drive. I'm counsel for the petitioner, Digital Desert, BPR1 LLC. Thank you. So now am I calling Mr. Brown or Mr. Prowalski? Mr. Brown. Good morning. I'm Nick Brown with the assessor's office. Um, 
We're going to be going through case 517. Please refer to page 174 of the addendum. Uh, there, there, I labeled and highlighted the three parcels that are included in this appeal. The subject property is a partially constructed luxury apartment complex known as Evora. The three parcels that are being appealed are uh, 163-33, 715-002-003-006. On each of these parcel, uh, parcels is a partially constructed five-story luxury apartment building with a basement garage as well as first floor uh, garage parking. So while working on this appeal, I discovered a factual error on our records. Our records show the heating and cooling system as HVAC instead of heat pump. HVAC has a higher cost than heat pump uh, than a, a heat pump system in the Marshall and Swift cost book. So based on aerial photos, um, I was able to find that the heat pump systems for building A1 and A3 were not installed on the, the roof as of July 1st, 2023, but they were installed on building A2. So we're recommending a reduction of the taxable value based on removing the heating and cooling system from building A1 and A3 altogether and changing the, the heating and cooling system for building A3 from HVAC to heat pump. The recommended reduction of $4,682,098 would bring the 23-24 taxable value to four, uh, $46 million. 596,543. Mr. Morris. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And I, I wanna begin um, thanking the board for your time. And I also wanna thank Mr. Brown, um, who's been exceptionally responsive and courteous um, the last few months. Uh, he's called several times and emailed several times and I really appreciate um, his approach. We, we have a, obviously a disagreement um, about the replacement cost for this partially constructed project. Um, but I, I wanted to start by thanking Mr. Brown um, for the way in which he has um, approached us and, and the petitioner. Um, the bottom line this morning is we have a, different, a, a difference of opinion about the replacement cost for, for this project. This involves three parcels, <clears throat> three partially constructed apartment buildings, 114 units each, and we submitted substantial evidence that shows that the total replacement cost which is the standard under, three, uh, under NRS 361-227 for a improvement to, the, to these parcels, is nearly $20 million lower uh, than what the assessor has valued. Uh, and that's the, that's the reason why we're here. So NRS 361.227 uh, requires that replacement cost, less depreciation is the standard for valuation of improvements to land. And under the administrative code, NRS I'm um, sorry, NAC 361-1117, uh, the code defines replacement costs to mean the total cost of construction required to replace an improvement with a substitute of like or equal utility using current standards of materials and design, including the cost of any pertinent labor, materials, supervision, contractor's profit and overhead, architect's plans and specifications, sales taxes and insurance. And that's NAC 361.1117. Now what we've submitted as, our, as substantial evidence for your consideration today 
uh, is at page 38 to 45 of your addendum, and it's the same for both case 517 uh, and 516. But page 38 to 45 of your addendum provides a builder's risk insurance policy. And what that policy covers is the replacement cost for the materials and the buildings, the structure of the, of the buildings for each of these three parcels. And you'll see at page, uh, you'll see at page 39 and 40 that the total insurance limit for these buildings, for the improvements, is $79.7 million. Now, I'm not saying to this board that uh, an insurance policy is always going to be substantial evidence of replacement cost. But in this case, if you read this insurance policy at page 45, you'll see the definition of valuation is exactly the same as what is in NAC 361-1117. It is construction costs, materials, supplies. Uh, it is the same exact definition. So we have an insurance policy here that tells us what the value of these improvements are, 79.7 million. That is exactly what our client believes it is because that's exactly what our client has paid for these materials and for this building and for this project. The assessor's valuation is grossly overvalued by about $20 million uh, and it translates, I know this is not the treasurer's office, that translates into about a $150,000 overassessment. That's the tax bill that our client's gonna pay. That's, the, that's our dispute, that's our evidence, um, and I don't think it really requires any more time or discussion. Mr. Brown. So <clears throat> the, um, the first thing I was gonna point out was that there's an NAC 361.128. You know, I'm, not, I'm not a lawyer, I'm, I just read this, and this is, we, we're required to use Marshall and Swift, and it says the cost of replacement of an improvement must be calculated and it says, with including any costs attributable to land, uh, um, land enhancements and except as otherwise provided in subsection two, three, and four using, and it says, <clears throat> the standards and modifier, uh, modifiers of local costs published in the version of residential cost book, Marshall Valuation Service, res uh, residential estimator software, or commercial estimator software, and so, the way I read that, and like I said, I'm not a lawyer, but it says it must be calculated that way, and that's the way we do it. So it, the insurance policy that he submitted, um, number one, it's, it's expired. So it says the policy's from February to August of 23. <clears throat> um, so we, we have to do it based on NAC. So I, I can't just reduce the value because his insurance policy says that the value is overstated. So I can go through and, you know, he, he checked the boxes for exceeding market value and equity. So I went through and, you know, put together a case to, to show that I can, I can go through that if you'd like. Yes, okay. Chairman Farr, I would like very much for Mr. Brown to please put on his case to support his value. Okay. <clears throat> please refer to page 175 of the addendum. This is an aerial view of the entire Evora project. The portion outlined in purple is what uh, we're going to be analyzing as one economic unit. So the three parcels that are being appealed have buildings on them in our records 
at different, uh, different levels of completion. The two common area parcels are included in the analysis based on the thought that a tenant would be renting an apartment unit with the expectation of having the common area amenities like the pools, sport courts, and pavilions. The, the fourth building at the south end that is highlighted is not included in the analysis. This building was not far, far enough along in, in the construction process at the time the improvements for the other three buildings were picked up, so there is nothing on our record for that parcel. It was excluded from the analysis based on the thought that if they decided not to build that building, people would still rent apartment units in the other three. So the, the cap summary is on page 177 of the addendum. So uh, financial information was requested from the appellant, but none was provided. Uh, the rental rates utilized in the cap summary were based on the advertised rents. Uh, the leasing agent I spoke with um, at the property stated that the advertised rental rates represented the base rents, and the actual rents were higher based on floor, uh, floor number and view. I was not provided with the current rent roll, so the PGI is lower than it should be. The vacancy rate, other income, expenses, and the cap rate uh, were estimated based on market data. The overall market value, as if complete and stabilized, was $135,156,244, or $395,194 per unit. Due to the subject property being partially complete, a cost to complete amount of $48,086,010 was estimated and deducted from the value. <clears throat> $43,086,010 was estimated for the completion cost of the improvements that were currently on the record based on the Marshall and Swift cost, and an additional $5 million was estimated for the improvements that are not yet on the record or not yet constructed. And so that would be for the pools and spas and pavilions on the common area parcels. <clears throat> Lease up costs um, and land value were estimated at $13,602,362 and also deducted from the stabilized value. $9,270,320 was estimated for the lease up cost based on the absorption information provided by the property's leasing agent. $4,332,042 is the land value for the common area parcels, 163-33-715-007 and 010. And as is value was determined to be $73,467,872, which supports the value of 46596543 which is the value uh, being recommended based on the correction for the clerical error. The sales grid is located on page 188 of the addendum. Um, I did notice a typo this morning on that. Uh, so the, the taxable value, so the, so the, uh, the column taxable value 100% plus 5 million. So, uh, did not include the land value for the common area parcels. 
So this number represents the taxable value based on this year's cost and this year's land value estimated to be 100% complete. So um, the corrected value is 103,696,693 or 303,000 per unit, which is still lower than all the sales on the grid. Uh, the range of cap rates for these sales uh, was from 3.22 to 4.47. We used a higher cap rate of 5.5 in our cap summary due to the lack of recent sales activity and, and broker opinions. Uh, the equity grid is on page 191 of the addendum. So I included this because he checked the box for equity. And I mean, so it's difficult to compare partially built high rise apartment complex uh, with existing um, fully built high rise apartment complexes. So I, I went throughout the valley to find similar properties to show that they're being assessed similarly to the subject property. And so uh, based on this information, the assessor's recommending reducing the 23-24 taxable value to 46 million, 596, 543, based on a clerical error. This is Daryl Pawlowski for the Clark County Assessor's Office again. Um, I just wanted to touch bases. Um, Nick, Mr. Brown had cited the NAC uh, 361-128, which talks about how we calculate the improvement portion of a replacement cost, which is true. It is based on Marshall and Swift publications. There are a couple other instances where there are adopted methods, one being um, that you would have to get prior approval from the executive director at the Department of Taxation and approved by the Nevada Tax Commission as an appropriate uh, way to calculate um, uh, replacement costs. Uh, the state also does publish a rural farm manual for typically unsupervised labor cost, uh, which is prevalent in a lot of the rural counties for Nevada. Um, and then of course, other publications such as like the personal property manual that the office relies heavily on. So those are pretty much the four methods that we're restricted to use when we're setting our taxable value. Um, majority of all properties here in Clark County are utilized um, Marshall Swift. Mr. Morris, any rebuttal? Yes, uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, I do have a few points. Number one, um, the insurance policy is not expired. We, we are providing the insurance policy that was in place for the, for the tax year that, that was at issue. Um, so I, I just want to make sure that the record's clear. Um, we, are, we, are, we should not be venturing into market, market value sales approach. We are talking about replacement costs of improvements. And as Mr. Brown said, <clears throat> It's difficult for you to take a partially constructed project, three buildings, and then try to compare them to buildings that have been completed and that have been sold. So we are not talking about market value. We're not talking about the sales approach. We're talking about the, the very first step when we're calculating taxable value for an improvement, and that's replacement cost. Now, we have provided a builder's risk policy, which is the best evidence of the, of the replacement costs of these improvements, and that is because that value is what a builder would have to pay once the project is finished, replacement cost, new, if the buildings and the improvements were, com were completely destroyed. And that is, what is, that is what our client has paid tens of thousands of dollars in insurance premium for, and that's the coverage that he has, and that's the, the level of insurance that this third-party objective insurance company has said, that's the coverage that you need. They're not interested in overvaluing that 
property because they're going to have to pay if there's a loss. They're not interested in undervaluing the property because they want the premium. I mean, that's the number is what it is. It's replacement cost. Now, I understand that the assessor's office is bound to use Marshall and Swift as the calculator to get to replacement cost. I understand that. But replacement cost is defined, and it is. Cost of construction, supplies, materials, replacement cost is the same. And with all due respect to the point about alternative methods, I've pulled the approved alternative methods, and replacement cost is replacement cost. It's the same. It's the same definition. Now, you may be talking about different kinds of improvements. You may be talking about utilities. You may be talking about car chargers. You may be talking about barns or water, water uh, storage tanks that don't have the same type of uh, characteristics that are easily used in a Marshall and Swift calculation. That's fine. But replacement cost is always going to be replacement cost. And that's the issue. And that's why the evidence that we've provided, the builder's risk policy, which covers the replacement cost for this improvement, is the best evidence here for a partially constructed project where you don't have, as the assessor just admitted, you don't have adequate sales data. You don't have adequate comparative market value type information to properly value the replacement cost for these improvements. It's, it's not done yet. Um, and so that's why, the, that's why the information that we've provided is the best data for this board to consider. Chairman Farr. Yes. Um, Marianne Widener. Um, I just want to reference a few things. Um, the Constitution, which we don't have in the record, but I'd like to read it in. Um, uh, section, Article 10 of the Constitution um, has to do with taxation and assessment. And Section 1 says, uniform and equal rate of assessment and taxation, valuation of property, exceptions and exemptions, inheritance and personal income taxes prohibited. So that's the Section 1. And one of that says, the legislature shall provide by law for a uniform and equal rate of assessment and taxation, and shall prescribe such regulations as shall secure a just valuation for taxation of all property, real, personal, and possessory, except mines and mining claims, which shall be assessed and taxed only as provided in Section 5 of this article. So this is the constitutional law that governs the equal and the fair and equitable that we are always hear us talk about of assessment, that we want to be uniform. So every property in this entire state has been valued based on replacement cost new, less depreciation, that's statutory at 1.5% per year, based on Marshall and Swift. And the reason why we use Marshall and Swift is to maintain that uniform and equitable valuation. Um, we have had many people come in and testify before this board and many in the years that I've been here um, with all kinds of methods for how we do that. But if we were to do that now, we would actually cause us to have something that would not be consistent with how every other property has been valued. And so when uh, Mr. Um, Brown referenced NAC 361.128 that tells us that we're going to use Marshall and Swift, and if we're not going to use that, we, then we do have to have another approved method by the Department of Taxation. That's what this um, article in the Constitution is saying. They had to create regulations to create that uniform and equitable form of uh, evaluation and, and taxation. So that's what we've done, and that's what we are required and mandated to do. Um, there was another comment that the gentleman made, and I just want to also reference this for the board's sake. NRS 361.227 addresses how we have to value all the properties, but in Section 5 of that, it says the computed taxable value of any property must not exceed its full cash value. So whether or not it's partially complete or 100% complete, we still want to make sure that we're testing it 
to make sure we have not exceeded full cash value. So what does it say? It says each person determining the taxable value of property shall reduce it if necessary to comply with this requirement. A person determining whether taxable value exceeds full cash value or whether obsolescence is a factor in valuation may consider. And it gives you the three options here. Comparative sales based on prices actually paid in market transactions, a summation of the estimated full cash value of the land and contributory value of the improvements, or capitalization of fair economic income expectancy or fair economic rent, or an analysis of a discounted cash flow. So these are the methods that we can use. So um, just wanting to reinforce that, that what Mr. Brown has done is he's used a method, one of these methods to actually determine um, and try to take into consideration the fact that the property is not 100% complete, has reduced the overall income value uh, based on that information to come to a concluded value. So we are, we are even though he stated, um, uh, Mr. Morris stated that we are not permitted to do that, that that would not be a true statement. We are permitted to do that. We are actually required to do that if we believe that we have potentially exceeded full cash value. And when someone brings it to our attention, we obviously are going to take an even closer look, which is what we're doing here. So I, I'm just trying to reference for the board's sake that we're following the law. Thank you. Mr. Moore. Yes, thank you very quickly. And I, I appreciate those follow-up comments, but I would uh, respectfully disagree what we're talking about when, when uh, the assessor's office mentions 361.227 subsection 5, that is talking about depreciation and obsolescence. That is not replacement cost. Replacement cost is step one. It is fixed in statute. You are not permitted to use market value, uh, sales approach, or, or other comparative methods to value replacement costs. You may use that for obsolescence. You may um, establish the valuation, you may establish replacement costs for improvements, and then factor in obsolescence. That's when you get to vacancy rates. That's when you get to other external, internal factors, if, if it's an income-producing property, if it's capitalization. But you don't get there until you have replacement cost, and that is a fixed definition in statute and under the administrative code. If you start with the wrong replacement cost, but then you have the correct obsolescence, you have the correct depreciation, you're still applying a percentage to the incorrect base. You're still applying an, it, yes, Mr. Chair. I, I, I think you're misunderstanding why they're doing that. They're doing it as a test of reasonableness to show that the cost approach does not overstate the value. That, that's really why they're doing it. The argument is that you think replacement cost is less than Marshall Swift uh, thinks replacement cost is. Am I hearing this correctly? Okay, so you're, you're disputing that the cost from, from Marshall Swift is, is equivalent to what cost is based on the developers, the way I'm hearing this, okay? Right. That's just, the, the, when they're doing income and sales comparison, that's just a test of reasonableness to support the cost approach. Now, the key argument is you're saying the costs are overstated from Marshall Swift, correct? Not, not really, no. I, 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 I'm not stating that the Marshall Swift issue is really what we need to be looking at. I'm stating that the, the base 96 or so million dollars is not the evidence that we have for the replacement cost. Marshall Swift depends on the data that the assessor's office computes. And I'm saying that there's a fundamental uh, miscalculation. That's that actually backwards. 
Marshall Swift does not look at the assessors for information. They go to the builders for the information. Well, that's the Marshall Swift, but I, it's a, as you know, and, and it, it depends on the information that you input. The Mar Marshall Swift is a, is a software, and so you have to put depends in Depends on the property I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. So you have to input the data. If you start with the wrong square footage, if you start with the wrong unit number, if you start with the wrong, is it masonry, is it stucco, is it wood frame, is it an apartment, is it a high rise, is it four or five stories? All of that information dictates the outcome of the Marshall Swift method. So as the assessor's office already admitted, we've got an HVAC issue, right? If you, if you put the wrong information in for the HVAC, you're gonna get the wrong information out from Marshall and Swift. So our point is, is very simple. The insurance policy here, which covers the replacement cost for the improvements, gives us the best data for what the replacement cost is. Now, if you tell me Marshall Swift says it's $90 million, well, I have an insurance policy here that says differently. It says that the valuation for the improvements is $79 million. Well, then I want to look and see how, well, what, how is the uh, valuation defined? How did you get to that number? And that number, that valuation definition, which is at page, since we're on 516, 517, it's at page 159 of your addendum. The definition of valuation is the same as in NAC 361. And so that's where we have the apples to apples issue. It's why we don't have a uniformity issue, which was the second response to the assessor's office that I wanted to make. We're not challenging a uniformity issue because we have a valuation method here that is the exact same as NAC. So if, if, if I'm looking at page 159 of your addendum under the policy's definition of valuation, and it tells me anything other than replacement cost, I'm not standing before you today. Did you provide any costs from the developer? I'm sorry? Did you provide any costs from the developer? Well, we have five, 500 pages of contracts. Sure, um, but I, they could, I just dealt with this with another hotel project. I can give them a date and they'll say, this is how much we spent as of this date. That is, that is what, this is what the developer provided. Okay, so the developer showed this to the insurance person and that's where they got this number from? Or the insurance person got this, because I don't see any math here from the insurance, and do, is there math on, on your end, how you built up the using Marshall? Yes, we have the, the PRCs, the property record cards, or they're on page, sorry. Because to me, that's what it comes down to. If they're gonna show me some math of how that was built up, and you're just showing me an insurance policy. I, I don't know what they used. They could have used HVAC and not heat pumps. You know what I mean? Like, you can make the same argument for your insurance guy. And I've dealt with insurance people. They ask me a couple vague questions. And they're like, yeah, sure, here's your policy. Page so, one, I'm sorry, page 191 starts the uh, property record card calculations. In uh, the addendum book. Sorry, yeah. it's on 222. 222, that's the, uh, the summary. comps. Yeah, okay. And w what is the percentage complete um, as of this date, so approximately? There's, so two of the buildings are on at 40% and one of them is on at 50%. Okay. I mean, the, the only thing with um, reducing your costs, you're saying this is what the percent complete and taking the stabilized value and subtracting, is there no consideration of profit that's the only issue I would have with or it. Or land. Oh, they, I thought they addressed that. No, the that insurance now. doesn't pay for land. 
Yeah, but they took that out, right? Isn't that what he said the plus four million something was? I didn't hear that part. Yeah, there's a line item where it says leasing costs plus the four million no, something. No, that's the assessor did. Yeah. I'm talking Mr. Morris, the appellant, oh. didn't discuss land at all. He's just saying replacement cost is replacement cost, but made no uh, discussion regarding adding land value, right? Which is, you know, it, it's replacement cost, less depreciation, in this case none, plus land value. And there's been no discussion about land value. Okay. Um, so that should be up and that should be down? I'm not saying anything. I, I, I think that... Because I'm, I'm looking at the profit side where your stabilized project, they included profit into that number. This is an unfinished project. Profit hasn't been realized at this point, especially if it's less than 50% or thereabout. Um, and so I, I could argue that there's a slight reduction to that number, but I, I also, I put very little weight on the insurance policy because I don't see what they, how they came up with what they did. Well, may I respond, Mr. Chair? Of course. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the discussion and for, for taking the time to, to hear this. I appreciate that. Um, I, I would say, number one, and I just wanna make the record very clear, page 159 of your addendum, the definition of valuation and replacement costs, and I've, I've, said, I've made that point, but how we get to that number, page 161 talks about what, we're, what we are valuing, and that's buildings, structures, materials, and supplies, foundations. Again, we're, all, we're using the same definitions, and that's why this is relevant, and that's why it's substantial evidence. Um, what I would also point to this particular board, because I know you're all experienced appraisers, is um, the most recent the most recent handbook, the 15th edition of Appraisal of Real Estate at page 55, talks about insurable value. And it's to your point, why do I care what the insurance policy says? I wanna see the math. Page 55 of the appraiser's uh, handbook, uh, 15th edition says, traditionally the value of an asset or assets covered by an insurance policy has been known as the insurable value. Even though the amount is more accurately an indication of cost, the maximum reimbursement for direct physical damage or loss of property is limited to the amount shown on the contract. So that's why we've provided this insurance policy and that's why we're pointing to the, the insured limit. It's not an issue of the land. We don't have any issue with, with, the, with the vacant land valuation. We're really talking about the base replacement cost estimate because everything starts from that. I just, I still think if you actually showed me the costs that were completed as of that date, that I'd put more weight on it than you know an insurance policy. So um, if that was a more detailed or from the, the developer, I, I would put more weight on that. I think the county would too. So <clears throat> on page 214 in the addendum, so um, I took a phone call from Matt early before this was an appeal. I was the one that put this building on the, on the record. So I told him, you know, go through the record or, you know, Go through the appeal process. I'll make sure it gets assigned to me, and I'll work with you on this. So we've been going back and forth for, you know, over two months. So I, on December 13th, before this was even an appeal, I believe, I requested construction costs and a feasibility study just just to kind of test and make sure that, you know, what we are doing is, makes sense. So, yeah, I, you know, I, like I said, I've been working with him for a while. We've gone through all the different scenarios, and, uh, yeah, and then, the insurance policy is the only thing that, that I got from him. And, and it's a partial, I mean, he said it's a 400 page insurance policy and then there's partial, you know, there's pages from it that he's highlighted. And so, um, 
yeah, I mean, I, I try to work with them to get construction costs is all I'm trying to say. I have a question for the um, petitioner. Um, my understanding is you disagree with the um, replacement cost values. You found a mistake between HVAC and heat pump, which has been, I believe, corrected. Did you see any other mistakes? Well, the, the spreadsheets that we have, and I believe the assessor's office refers to them as PRCs for, the, for each parcel, um, doesn't have a lot of information. Um, a lot, most of the spreadsheets have been left blank. Uh, what I did see in terms of the square footage and the units um, appeared correct. Um, I will say though that there is a question about the, number one, the completion rates. Uh, frankly, we, we, I'm not just not sure what the basis is for the assessor's completion rate estimate. Um, I've heard that it was an aerial photo and then I've also heard that it was a site visit. Uh, we do dispute that, and, and again, I think it really comes down to if you're starting with the wrong replacement cost estimate, then everything from there is gonna be excessive. Um, and I would also say that I've reviewed the contracts and I'm happy to provide them to this board. Um, they, they, they cohere with the insurance, the replacement cost limit. So um, if I need to provide a supplement, I'd be happy to do that. Um, but we are starting off with a very, very different replacement cost number for those improvements, which is at a, around 79 million, and the contracts that I've reviewed um, corroborate that. And I'm, again, I'm happy to provide that, but it's a, it's a huge project, so it's a lot of information, and because the insurance policy is essentially a summary of those costs, and because the appraiser's uh, handbook says that you can use the insurable value as an indicator of replacement cost, um, that's the most efficient way for me to, to, to point to that number, um, but if I need to provide a supplement, I'd be happy to do that. I, if this gets kicked up to the state, that would be my recommendation. I, you know, I'm a simple man. You tell me it's 35% complete and they put it's 40% complete. You show me the total cost, what the cost you spent at that day, then maybe that justifies an adjustment on the county's end. You show me actual cost complete as of that day, not you know, from the insurance provider, but from the developer, which I know is accessible and could be summarized in a couple sheets, um, then you have an argument. And if it goes to the state, I'm sure if you show that to them, uh, then they'll, that, you know. That's readily available. Yeah. <laughs> we get them all day, Yeah. okay? It, it's a push of a button, date, print, send to appraiser. We get them all the time. I question why you didn't provide that. Okay, um, as far as your, your updated, we don't want the 500 pages, we want the summary. We want the summary that you're saying is accurate. And I'm not seeing it, right? I'm, I'm not inclined to put a whole lot of weight on the insurance policy, yeah. okay? I don't know, you know when, those when those numbers were calculated. Um, uh, was it based on you know, 2022 numbers? Was it based on 2021 numbers? We've had major changes in, in, in costs for hard goods, um, let alone labor. Hardest part right now on the construction side is labor. And, and that's going up exponentially. Um, anybody else have any discussion, comments? Chairman Farr, I just wanna add a comment. Um, 
whatever is testified to here today is really what has to go before the state. So there's no such thing as really supplemental to this hearing. If he had information he needs to provide, he needs to provide that today um, to this board so that it can be made a part of the record. Otherwise, it would be considered new evidence to the state and he would have to prove why he could not have provided it to this board. So I just want that to be put on the record so that it's clear that we don't, we don't approve supplemental um, information that it should be something that was provided to this board because otherwise it's gonna be considered new evidence before the state and then he has to justify why he did not bring it to this board. Well, may I respond? Respectfully? Please. Yeah, respectfully, I would respond. It wasn't provided because we didn't think it's needed. It, it's, dupl it's duplicative, but I'm happy to provide it and I, I understand the points well, well taken. Um, I would also say this board has substantial discretion uh, to decide what evidence it, it would like to consider uh, evidentiary rules before this body are generally relaxed, and you have the you have the discretion uh, to decide what you'll accept. You don't, you have nothing here right now, so there's nothing to accept. Okay, and yeah. secondarily, uh, to your point, it was requested. You didn't think it was important. It was requested. We you you decided that it wasn't important. It's very important to what we do. Okay, so I mean that that's. Just because you didn't feel that it was appropriate to provide doesn't mean that it's not important to the asset, to the analysis. I, I disagree with that, uh, with, with the way you handled that, frankly. And just to back back that up, you're actually supporting the fact that you should have should have supplied those numbers. You're saying this is the cost. These are the costs. Well, show us the cost because if that's the way we're supposed to look at it, then you should have provided those numbers. We now, just back to the. Um, argument of profit. Does anybody feel one way or another about that, that that should be deducted at all from uh, the income approach here? Cause I, so it came in, the property value at 73 million and change, and then the recommendation is 46 million and change? Correct, yes. Okay, so where, where was that gap? How, how did that math work? So the, the taxable value was 51 million 278,000 or 641, and then the reduction was based on the error that I discovered. He didn't point that out to me. I, I discovered by going through the plans that the HVAC system that was on there was incorrect, and it's, it's a heat pump. So oh, that was that. Okay. That's the reduction to 46 million. That's so, 46 million dollars for HVAC. No, 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 no. That's not the reduction. That's the reduction from 51 to 46. The reductions down there at the. Um, let's see. So the reduction is from 51, 278 to 46, 596. I can, I can pull up what the actual reduction was, but the oh, actual say reduction from 51 was, to 46. Exactly. Okay. Uh, but from 73 oh. to 51. And one other, one other thing, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but the, so two of the buildings, we removed the HVAC completely. And this is, this is an ongoing project. That's going to be added, you know. Sure probably in supplemental one of the buildings is already complete and being leased currently so yeah so I would I was going to change everything from HVAC to heat pump and then I noticed based on the aerial views because I have I have photos I, I did several inspections of this and the inspection I did was in May and so we have to estimate what's going to be there when you know for yeah and, you know. and I think I just it's uh, the blue right here it says property value is 73 million Correct. That's the that's the um, market value as is as of that date. As of 
July 1st, or January 1st. And then the number up here for 23, 24 is 51 million. I just want to make sure I'm knowing where we got from 73 to 51. So Chair there's two separate things. Sorry. Chairman, I would like to provide some clarification. The analysis that Mr. Brown is providing is to just say we're testing the replacement cost value. $51 million was the land, market value of the land plus the replacement cost value. He made a correction to the replacement cost based on the HVAC, which reduced the value total to $46 million. Now we're just testing it based on the income approach. Did we exceed value at the $46 million? And this is just an income approach. We're not going to raise this value to $73 million. $73 million was never a value that was on the record. It's just saying if we did the income approach, the income approach with the considerations that he's placed is supporting $73 million. We're at $46. We're okay. okay. We haven't exceeded full cash value. Yeah, and that, that just it clarifies my profit argument, any soft costs, all that. So I'm, I'm good. Um, I'll make a motion that the assessor's recommendation does not exceed cash value. Motion has been made. Please cast your votes. And that motion passes. You do have the right to appeal. Forums are outside the door. Um, now we're going to call 516. Please state your name and address for the record. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Matt Morris, um, counsel for the petitioner Digital Desert with Holland and Hart, 9555 Hillwood Drive, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89134. Thank you. Mr. Brown? Okay, good morning. I'm Nick Brown with the assessor's office. Uh, we're going to go through case 516. Please refer to page 60 of the addendum. Uh, there I labeled the highlighted uh, labeled and highlighted three parcels that are included in the appeal. The subject property is a partially constructed luxury apartment complex known as Ebora. The three parcels are being appealed uh, that are being appealed are 163-33-715-002, 003, and 006. On each of the parcels is a partially constructed five-story luxury apartment building with a basement garage as well as first floor garage parking. So uh, one thing I wanted to point out, so this is, the, this is the current, so I did not make any adjustments to the percent completes. So this, all the percent completes on these buildings are the exact same, and we typically do that, um, we typically do that because in supplemental, we're gonna pick it up, so the lien date is July 1st, so all the improvements are gonna be the exact same as they were in supplemental. So the only difference is the, um, the costs have changed the Marshall and Swift costs and the land valuations. So, same issue: the heat pump or heat pump versus HVAC uh, recommended reduction of five million two hundred eight thousand eight hundred seventeen would bring the twenty four twenty five taxable value to fifty two million one hundred forty thousand one hundred fifty five. Mr. Morris. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, we would repeat and incorporate the arguments that we made in the previous appeal. Um, it's, we're starting with the incorrect uh, replacement costs. The assessor is overvaluing the replacement costs, the improvements, and so uh, every step uh, in the tax calculation formula is, is off. Even if they use the correct um, completion rates, which we would challenge, um, they're starting off with the wrong assumption on the replacement costs, and so it's, it's overvalued. Now, for this, uh, for this, 
uh, number 516. We don't have the final approved rates yet um, because they haven't been approved, and so we, we're just challenging the, the same fundamental assumption that the replacement costs for the improvements are overvalued. Mr. Brown. Okay, please refer to page 61 of the addendum. And so, uh, this, is, uh, this is an aerial view of the entire Evora project. The portion outlined in purple is what we're going to be analyzing as one economic unit. The three parcels that are being appealed have buildings on them in our records at different levels of completion. The two common area parcels are included in the analysis based on the thought that the tenant would uh, would be renting the apartment unit with the expectation of having the common area amenities like pools, sport courts, and pavilions. The fourth building at the south end uh, um, is highlighted, is not included in the analysis. This building was not far enough along in the construction process at the time of the improvements for the other three buildings were picked up, so there's nothing on our record for that parcel. It was excluded from the analysis based on the thought that if they decided not to build the building, people would still rent apartment units from the other three. The cap summary is on page 63 of the addendum. Financial information was requested from the appellant, but none was provided. Rental rates uh, that were using the cap rate were based on advertised rents. The leasing agent I spoke with stated that the advertised rents represent the base rent, and the actual rents are higher based on floor number and the view. I was not provided with the current rent roll, so PGI is lower than it should be. The vacancy rate, other income, expenses, and cap rate were estimated based on market data. The overall market value as if complete and stabilized was $133,565,626 or $390,543 per unit. Due to the subject property being partially complete, a cost to complete amount of 57874259 was estimated and deducted from the value. 52874259 was estimated for the cost, uh, the completion cost of the improvements that are currently on the record based on Marshall and Swift costs. And an additional five million was estimated for the improvements that are not on the record or not yet constructed. Lease up cost and land value were estimated at $10,921,359 and also deducted from the stabilized value. $6,164,607 was estimated for the lease up cost based on the absorption information provided by the property's leasing agent. $4,756,752 is the land value for the common area parcels. And as is value was determined to be $64,770,008, which supports the value of $52,140,155, which is the value being recommended based on the correction for the clerical error. Sales grid is located on page 74 of the addendum. Um, I have the, the same typo on that, so the taxable value, uh, the column that was taxable value 100% plus five million tab did not include the land value for the common area parcels. The number represents the taxable value based on th uh, this year's cost and this year's land value estimated to be 100% complete. The corrected value is 114,771,166 or 335,588 per unit, which is still lower than all of the sales on the grid. The 
Range of cap rates for these sales were 3.22 to 4.47. We used a higher cap rate of 5.5 in the cap summary due to the lack of recent sales activity and broker opinions. The equity grid uh, is on page 77 of the addendum. Um, it was difficult to compare partially built high-rise apartment complex to existing high-rise apartment complexes. I looked throughout the valley to find similar properties to show that they are being assessed similar, similarly to the subject property. Based on the information, the assessor's office recommends reducing the 24-25 taxable value to $52,140,155 based on the clerical error. Mr. Morris. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm sorry, I think Mr. Probalski had something to say. I apologize. Just uh, two quick points. I just wanted to incorporate the testimony referencing um, in case 517 about the NAC and the Constitution. Um, just to uh, just to kind of reiterate, we have not been back to this property, so it's still at the same percentage as the supplemental value uh, case that we had just heard for 2324. We will be going back out there between now and July 1st. Any additional value that's added at that time will be appealable for next year. I'll uh, go so far as to incorporate all testimony and information provided from case 517 into 516 for the record, make sure we're all covered. Mr. Morris. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I appreciate that. That saves a lot of what I was going to say in response. Um, but I, I just, one thing that I don't, uh, that I want to make sure that I've clarified uh, for the record is um, Mr. Brown has said, I think, repeatedly in both cases that there's a lack of appropriate data to compare for this project. And that is exactly why we provided the insurance policy as the evidence in response to the, to the financial information that was requested. Um, I, 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 I would re very respectfully uh, take issue with um, the point that uh, that was made that we didn't that we didn't provide responsive information. There's a lack of comparative information, and, and based on what the appraiser's standards use, and based on the definition in, in, in NAC, uh, we felt the most responsive and most accurate information was the insurance policy for the improvements, the builder's risk policy in particular that uses the same valuation and the same definitions. Um, we feel like that is exactly what the appraisal standards call for. Uh, the definition is the same as administrative code and that's, and that's why we provided that information. Thank you for your comments. Members of the board? I just agree with what um, Luke said in the beginning, which is if there had been more to that insurance policy than a lump sum number and we could have compared, oh, this building materials are different or something, then we would have given more weight to that. But just on a lump sum number, it, it's hard to go with that, so. To uh, your point about the quantity and quality of other data in the market, that's, that's to support the sales and income approach. It has really nothing to do with the cost approach. That, I totally agree, and I so, think that's. And that's just a test of reasonableness on the cost approach, not exceeding full cash value, just for clarification, right? Um, any other comments? I'd just like to point out that the petitioner said more than once um, that the appraiser started off with the wrong replacement cost. Really what I think you're saying is he's concluding the wrong replacement cost. My question again would be, where did he start off wrong? What mistakes? We found a mistake, he found a mistake which corrected, was corrected. Is there any other mistakes in his methodology? 
you can disagree with the conclusion, but how he got there, did you see any mistakes in that? I, I don't have the methodology, um, respectfully, and I appreciate the question. I, I don't have that information. I, don't, I wasn't there to input the data, and I think my point, this is, this is uh, said repeatedly throughout the property tax, property tax handbook in Nevada. It's said throughout appraiser, appraiser's manuals. Uh, that depends on the data that you input. Marshall Swift relies on the input of information. I, I wasn't there to put that information into Marshall and Swift, so I don't know. I don't know what was the input. All I know is our client has evidence of what the replacement cost is for these improvements, uh, and that is substantial evidence, and it's clear evidence, and it's evidence that the Appraisers Institute says is a great indicator of replacement cost, and that's the issue why we're here today. Thank you. Chairman Farr, just I want to make a statement again um, for the record that our, our property record card indicates all the information, all the variables that we use to derive that replacement cost. So the property record cards were made available and they are in the record. That is the information that we gather. So that is how the information is submitted into the system to derive the replacement cost. So it is all open, transparent, and available. Thank you. Well, if I may, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to rebut, and I, I don't want to test the patience of the board, but the, the PRCs don't have much information. They tell you that they're apartments, they tell you that they're four or five stories, they tell you the units. They give you a square foot uh, number, and they give you a, a calculation of 32.8 million as replacement cost for each parcel. If you look at the PRCs, they're mostly blank. I, I don't, there's a few um, extra um, uh, additions, and, and all I really have is a number uh, and a date in some units. So. Um, I understand the purpose of the PRCs, but in this case, again, to the, the question that was raised was, what about the methodology? I don't know because I didn't input that data. All I know is the result of that data is a number that's excessive, and the statute requires that number to be the basis that everything else follows from, and that's our dispute. Sorry, for clarification, the reason why a lot of these inputs on the PRC are blank is they're not applicable. Property doesn't have basement, uh, basement parking, storage mezzanine, open mezzanine, unfinished basement, semi, that's why they're blank, right? Um, it's math, right? It's, what, what you're not looking at, we're, we're looking at a, an apartment high rise class D that tells me it's wood construction, okay? Uh, rank, I've never used rank, but, um, you know, effective year built, percentage complete, building square footage. They break it down on a price per square foot with Marshall as opposed to price per unit, okay? Um, and that's gonna be a collective for all of it, the entire project. That's how they're doing it. Um, extra features that would be over and above what that class D 300 apartment high rise would be. We get what they, what they mean. And the, but where most of these blanks come, they're not applicable. That's why, I don't think they're trying to be deceptive. I think your core argument is that the replacement cost new per square foot is too high from Marshall. And, and frankly, the support that you've provided with the, with the insurance document doesn't, it's not convincing for me that, that they're way out of line. A cost budget with hard costs and hard numbers, that would have that given me more weight to put on. And it's something that we get all day long on construction projects. Um, 
especially under construction, because the only way to value it is value it stabilized, take off your lease-up costs, take off your cost to complete. What you've got left is, is value. That's the only way to do it. And I, I really don't think the assessor was, was wrong in their methodology here. Um, based on information provided and, and testimony contained herein, I, may, I motion that the assessor does not exceed full cash value. Motion has been made. Please cast your votes. And that motion passes. Again, sir, you do have the right to appeal. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Next case is 1347 Valley Health System. Sir, please state your name and address for the record. My name's Blake Siner, and are you looking for the parcel address or my personal address? Pick one. 5629 um, Walmer Street, Mission, Kansas. Thank you. Mr. Walusek. Thomas Walusek for the assessor's office. Good morning, everyone. Subject property has historically been identified as the Desert Springs Hospital and has an address of 2075 East Flamingo Road. It is located at the southwest corner of East Flamingo Road and Burnham Avenue, as well as the southeast corner of East Flamingo Road and South Bruce Street. The property, as recorded, consists of 310,866 square feet and predominantly has a class A and class E construction class. The one, two, and five story structure is situated on a 12.44 acre site. Although the majority of the subject's improvements are reported to be closed, a 17,090 square foot portion of the property, which had a 2001 construction date, is currently utilized as a freestanding emergency department, usually called a FED. A second portion of the property is developed as two single-story medical office buildings that contain a combined 46,726 square feet of single or multi-tenant office space that had an effective age of 1985. Approximately 26,056 square feet of this space is occupied by the ownership's regional administrative group. The remaining portion of the improvements were constructed in 1970 and 2001 and consists of 237,999 square feet of gross building area. This vacant portion of the property consists primarily of patient and resident rooms within two-story and five-story building envelopes and back-of-house space. There were 293 licensed beds at time of closure. The assessor's office recommends a reduction of current taxable value to $42,401,224. I'm sorry, your name is Mr. Siner? Yeah. Okay. Mr. Siner, what uh, information do you have? Yeah, and thank you very much for your time today, and thank you, Thomas, for the assistance and discussions we've had. Um, so, summarize, Desert Springs Hospital, closed. Except for the free, or you could call it a freestanding emergency center. It's really just a 17,000 square foot wing of the hospital that they kept open. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so there are various issues this hospital had. Mainly, it's a dated facility, um, and it, it's running into a number of different repair issues. Uh, 
it, every time it rains, there's leaks throughout the buildings. And this is within the freestanding portion and the actual older closed down portions as well. Um, and if you were to look at the tower when you drive by Flamingo or if you are to take a ride on Bruce Street, if you know, you're feeling a little fun and you see that tower, those tower floors, there's plumbing issues. I guess it's kind of hard. You can't really take a picture of it, so there's plumbing issues. So the hallways aren't exactly under each other. They're a little, like one hallway's here, one hallway's here. So if you have a plumbing issue, you're gonna ha you have to like zigzag around. So they're dealing with some infrastructural issues as well as just a simply dated building that's primarily 50 plus years old. <clears throat> uh, so that's the inherent issue with Desert Springs is simply it's an old building. The, the hospital didn't deem it worth repairing. Um, and I actually have additional pictures and an estimate is from 2018, so I wouldn't put too much weight on it. They, um, if, if you guys would like to see them, I'm happy to pass are you around. Are you submitting them into the record? I would like to, yes, please. And I have 11 total copies. Who, how many do I need to give them to? I, this includes all my evidence, but the top, top pages are the new evidence. Thank you. Um, and again, it, basically it's just showing a dated facility is what these pictures will show. And in 2018, they ran an estimate. Um, one estimate is for a complete and utter renovation update, $220 million estimate. There's another smaller, another estimate on there, substantial amount. I don't know how much you can put on it. It's from 2018, um, but it, it, it encapsulates or shows how much repair this building is in need of. Um, so. Realistically speaking, I kind of typed up a statement on addendum page 276, which just really kind of goes down what Thomas already explained to you all. We've had, again, a lot of conversation back and forth here. Um, basically, I just highlighted the 17,090 square feet of building space in use. North Magna is um, closed in the last I believe three pictures that I've provided are from the North Magna office building. South Magna is in use. It's, uh, they have like administrative offices and whatnot in there. So coming down to the valuation aspect of this, um, we ran a cost approach, whereas I, I know, and I appreciate, again, working with Thomas here, they, they're looking at it a little bit more on an income basis with their offer. Um, so. Essentially what I did with this cost approach is I took that 17,090 square feet of used building space and I valued it as such. I valued it as an outpatient surgical facility, um, which granted that could be argued. I could see where that should remain a hospital classification. Um, and then I actually only used an effective age on that portion of 23 years. To Again, it's in use. I wanted to be reasonable. I don't know if, I frankly don't know if that's a great effective age, but I know a portion of the tower which is encapsulates some of this freestanding or emergency department was built in like 2000, 2001 time frame. So I felt like that was a reasonable number to use. Um, and uh, obviously the 1.5% statutory depreciations. So from there, I broke out the hospital square footage of 251,277 square feet. 
applied, where's my detailed here? We, I applied the maximum allowable percentage um, through our conver Thomas and I's conversations. That would be on page, addendum page 288, where I did use 75% depreciation. And then say page 289 on the detailed report, again, shows 23 years effective age, which would total to 34.5% depreciation. Again, trying to be you know, reasonable since that is a part of the uh, parcel in use. And then I did a, the, a cost approach for both medical office buildings. I just ran the standard based on the age of the property, 1.5 year um, depreciation. So when that calculates together, we get a total requested value of 36589000 There's a lot to go on here. This is a closed hospital in need of massive repairs. Is 36 a great number based on the way I ran Marshall? So I just try to keep it as simple as possible, basically. Because um, frankly speaking, this probably needs, needs to go out and be appraised and figure out you know, exactly what that value is. Has the property been appraised? I know, not that I'm aware of. I have not received anything. Does that conclude your opening? Yes. Thank you. Mr. Belusic? Again, Tom Belusic for the County Assessor's Office. The appellant uh, has been really great to work with. Just add that out. Having been at the Assessor's Office for five years, I've seen a lot of different cost approaches, <laughs> including our own. And uh, I, I have to admit that they've done a, a very simplified but very uh, reasonable approach on this. Um, but again, methodology, sometimes the devil's in the details on, on what we're coming up on, on this. Uh, by reasonable, I'm saying that uh, their end replacement cost new is 102 million. Ours on the record is 109. So even though there's a lot of dancing <laughs> to get to those numbers, uh, everybody got to the party at the same time. So that's fairly close along those lines. There was some other elements to the cost approach that were um, uh, troublesome uh, in the sense that, for example, he has broken out, the appellant has broken out uh, a section for a surgical center, and that was a part of the, of the hospital that is now being used as a, a, a FED, uh, an emergency department area. If uh, you look at page um, 282 of the addenda, you'll actually see a floor plan of that portion of the uh, hospital. And uh, emergency rooms are, are not surgical centers. They're basically triage centers. And so the costs there are, are, are not really commensurate with what it's being used for. Having said that, and to be fair, the reality is, is that somewhere in the hospital there are surgical areas. And so we'll, we'll let that pass because it gets roped into uh, the, the total analysis. Um, what we're seeing here is ultimately, at the end of the day, we had a, uh, a uh, for the whole hospital area, our uh, replacement cost new was uh, $353 uh, per square foot. His was, uh, the appellant's was two, uh, 322 again, fairly close. There's some areas that were being missed on that. Um, uh, an unusual uh, technique or methodology in this case was the estimation of our extra features, which is site improvements and such and so forth like that, which was estimated at 1.5 million and then was not depreciated in, in, after uh, when depreciation was applied. We have had on the books at like 4.1 million 
but after depreciating the, those, those assets, it's, it's 1.7. So again, it's a $250,000 difference between, even though the methodology was novel, let's say, um, we're, we're fairly close on that. The part where we have the, the biggest uh, disagreement is that on a weighted uh, average basis, our level of depreciation on all these buildings based upon their effective ages is 58.6%. Um, we don't have a regulatory methodology, and this is a discussion we actually had internally too, uh, to just take 75% and just go right to 50 years as an age life along those types of things. So at the end of the day, um, I think the case comes down to we're on the books at 52 million. The appellant is looking uh, to receive some kind of reduction to 36 million. And my case, uh, I think, reasonably supports 42 million. So that, that's really what this case is, 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 is about. Let's, uh, if you can, go to uh, uh, addenda 279, page 279. I just want to be able to familiarize uh, the board with, with the, the layout of the hospital itself. Very quickly, we've got single-story office, buildings on the left-hand side of the west side of the building. We have an X part of the building, which is a two-story uh, patient uh, facility. We have a, the, the combination of older back-of-house services buildings and then the new tower that was built on top of it. Uh, when we look at those two different things, so we're going to deal with different sections of this in terms of my analysis, but I, so when I'm speaking, I wanted to be able to have you visualize what part of the hospital we were really talking about. In our estimation, the subject provides for three distinct use components, and this analysis develops a value indication for each use and then consolidates these three value indications to conclude, con to conclude a total recommended taxable value. Our analysis begins on page 293 of the addenda, and that's really our well, the beginning of this. The first use reflects approximately the 17,090 square feet that is being used as a, as a FED or FSED freestanding emergency department. This portion operates essentially as an elevated or high acuity quick care. Medical retail rents and retail rents range from roughly 225 in the area to, to 350 per square foot, and this was reflected in the broad research for the Central East submarket. I'll be referring to market research. We did broad-based research limiting it to the Central East because you can't use data from, <laughs> from the West Side. So that will, will lend some credibility to this. Considering the subject's age and interior, nearly off-road access and visibility to get to this, so you can see this, you really have to go to the behind the property and enter the property from the rear to actually be able to get to the, 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 the ER, our, uh, ER drop-off zones. Uh, rent at the lower end uh, of the range is considered reasonable, it's not at the bottom. As an in-demand single tenant, and we've seen these being built all around the, the, the county, we've got them as end caps in, in uh, uh, strip centers. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a, a, an in-demand type of, uh, uh, of scenario. We've, we did only allow about a, a 5% on a triple net lease with approximately 8% of non-recovery for the expenses. Because of the higher risk associated with the subject's unusual uh, physical environment, we reconciled to an 8% cap rate, which was considered reasonable for the subject and its submarket. The capitalization rate was also floated a little bit to accommodate changes since the data was actually collected to allow for Fed rate change increases. 
General support for the inputs to the analysis are located on pages 294 and 296, and this will be repeated through it. We'll have rental rate information, you'll have cap rate information, you'll have price per square foot information from uh, that particular submarket. The indicated value for this portion of the subject is roughly 295 per square foot and reflects similarly aged and similarly classed property. It's close to the average price per square foot for the properties in the submarket of 308 per square foot, and this we feel is reasonable because of the type of general analysis we're doing. In the next analysis, which starts on 297 of the addenda, we tackle the medical office or MLB portion of the subject as if this portion of the subject were brought to market and leased. Approximately 20,670 square feet that is located in this, and I, and I think this, to, to correct the, uh, the, the appellant on this one, uh, at least in his de definitions here that he sent to us, it's the south building that is, it is vacant, the north building is occupied. For the analysis, the occupancy was converted to market leases and the vacant building was leased to a stabilized level. Market rent for office space in this market, uh, East Flamingo, Flamingo market, uh, ranges from roughly 95 cents to, to $2.15, but averaged roughly about $1.71. Considering the subject's location, age, and need for competitive differential to support any kind of absorption analysis, a rental rate of about a buck fifty was concluded. Market vacancy is approximately 25% in that submarket, and the subject was projected to reflect the market. Overall cap rates range from just under, this was fairly tight actually, surprisingly so, uh, 850 uh, to roughly 8.75% on average. Considering the direction of the market, a 9% cap rate was concluded as reasonable. Again, general support for the inputs to this analysis are on page 300 to 302 and provide uh, uh, information on rental rates, cap rates, and, 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 and sales. For this particular analysis, we had to make two adjustments that were required. The first was to accommodate the fact that the two improvements are in the same parcel record as, uh, that, uh, as adjacent to the hospital, but in reality, are situated in an adjacent parcel. So what we sometimes did in the past is we took uh, improvements and we combined them into one parcel, so all the improvements would be one, and that one parcel that was supporting the property was just vacant. Since the land was not included in the parcel record being appealed, the taxable value of the land was subtracted from the value conclusion for this portion of the property to accommodate that difference. The 1,014, uh, 1 million, excuse me, uh, 14,137 deduction is identified in the capitalization summary on page 297 as land adjustment directly after the stabilized value indication. The second adjustment reflected the projected stabilization costs to bring the vacant building to a stabilized occupancy. This is presented on 298. Based on plans that were supplied, which are presented on the following page, uh, the building would take little in the way of redemising, as the building is already arranged into basically office pods or, 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 or functional clusters. The cost of stabilization, rent loss, commissions, TIs, were estimated, at, uh, the TIs estimated at $45 per square foot, were discounted present value over a three-year lease-up period uh, via safe rate. Uh, that's floating uh, either a sulfur or, or treasury notes by 125 to 150 basis points. I think it's perfectly reasonable to use that 6% safe rate. The indicated value for the portion of the property of roughly $104 per square foot is very close to the average price per square foot for the submarket of 106 per square foot. Again, appears reasonable. Uh, just as a side note, having lived here for 20 years, it's interesting to me that this part of the marketplace on East Flamingo, which had some very quality buildings, would would be <laughs> selling at $106 a foot. That's quite a, quite a surprise, but we think that's fair for the subject. In the final component, which starts on page 303 of the addenda, a value is developed 
for the remaining 237,999 square feet of vacant space, which is the remainder of the hospital. Our highest and best use analysis uh, suggested that it was reasonable that this space be converted to a memory care services uh, orientation. After this analysis, I'm happy to uh, go through our reasoning reasons for this, but for the present, we'll stay focused on the development uh, of, of, of this uh, use. I'm constantly being reminded by my peers that we don't do appraisal, we're doing an assessment, but I, I felt it was really good to go through some of the steps on uh, kind of a highest and best analysis, and also if there was any questions, to be able to demonstrate to you that it's not a, a spacious uh, type of idea. It actually has a lot of merit. And I'm happy to go into that if it's so, if you would like to entertain that. We made an initial adjustment uh, for the square footage due to the potential of redundant and over adequate space. Some portion of the remaining space would not be truly usable to a provider of MC services, and some of the space, such as administrative space, would be excessive. Although much of the back of house services areas, such as kitchens, utility closets, would be necessary, it's projected that a portion of the remaining space would likely be orphaned. Uh, there's a significant amount of administrative space that a hospital requires, and, and an MC certainly wouldn't do that. Having been in so many, I can attest to that clearly. Based on the range of leases for MC space and the range of, uh, and age of the subject, a master lease to a national provider of memory care services of $1.25 per square foot is envisioned and considered reasonable. That's not at the bottom of the range, but it's in the lower end of the range for the stock class. Those lower-ended uh, types of, uh, of, of leases also tended to reflect uh, areas of, of, of our national community that had lower price points to begin with, and I think that that's probably representative of what this portion of the, of the, of the market represents. The lease is estimated to be absolute net in this case, which is typical for this use property, if the property use. A 3% vacancy was estimated to reflect uncertainty in reporting, and a 1% net expense to the landlord was estimated to accommodate the cost of oversight management and charges for replacement reserves. A base capitalization rate of 8% was used to reflect the average for this class of real property, reflecting the subject's use, location, and quality, and was based on use-specific national survey data. The capitalization rate was also floated, again, to accommodate tightening Fed uh, uh, target rates. General support for the inputs to this analysis are also located on three, uh, 304 through 306. Again, leasing rates, national leasing rates for uh, MC and L, uh, uh, memory care and assisted living properties, uh, capitalization rates uh, that, that are applying, uh, that would apply for this level of uh, uh, acuity for health services, and, uh, and then uh, sales of local uh, property. This also required some adjustments, and this goes, uh, uh, kind of answers some of the questions that the appellant brought up in terms of the condition of the property. Now, you have to understand that this property was being occupied, it was inpatient service until March of last year, and then they decided to, to jettison. The $220 million uh, renovation and uh, uh, costs that were estimated in 2018, which would probably be inflated today, accommodate to about a resulting in about an $869 uh, uh, per square foot renovation and, and, and standardization cost. And at that time, they felt that that was probably not, uh, uh, really, that didn't make a lot of sense. Another element that was not mentioned so far is that the X part of the, of the facility, uh, 37,000 and, and change square feet, has, uh, an abate, has an asbestos problem. Now, we don't have any information, and, nor, and the appellant was unable to acquire it from, from their client as to what that, included, what, what, what really what that is. So my approach to this was um, we're going to assume that it's a, a medium level rec, uh, recognized environmental condition, 
and that they would have a, uh, a, a probably a, a, a strong guideline to not in, induce friable uh, asbestos in the area. But it would allow what I call soft house renovations, and we'll get into that in just a minute here. Two adjustments were made to the this analysis. An adjustment was made to the indicative value to accommodate property preparation soft renovation costs. These include a $15 per square foot cost for general soft re retrofitting, painting, re-signage, that kinds of things. There's no, there's no, there's no rugs or carpeting in the proper, property, it's tile. And an $1,100 cost per unit, there are 293 beds, assumed to be single occupancy, by the way, uh, to accommodate union improvements such as cabinetry. I, I reached out to, uh, uh, actually maybe you might know this gentleman as well, he works over at CBRE, he specializes in apartments, uh, uh, extended stays, those kinds of properties, residence inns, and uh, was asked directly, I said, look, if we were gonna plug in a number for this, what would be reasonable based upon what you're, you're finding in the market that you're being able to support in, in, in the extended stay kitchenette type environment, which would be perfect for what we're talking about without any appliances, he comes in at about 1,500 with appliances and without about $1,100. So I, I thought that was reasonable and, and market current to help get there. The total of these deductions of 3,713,788 is identified in the capitalization summary on page three of three as renovation costs directly off of stabilized value. That um, actually breaks down, uh, the, the, the $1,100 is, is actually not a, uh, a significant amount, it's only 322, so that leaves 304, 3 million point four for painting, roof, replacing tiles, and, and when anybody soft touch renovation or, or, or attribution to like cabinets and stuff like that, you're drilling. You're not, you're not exposing asbestos, which may or may not be just stuck to the bones, it may actually be in the drywall or, or, or anything like that, which we don't know, but as an estimation, I, I felt that it was a, a, a fair way to approach that. Um, the total for these deductions is identified in the capitalization summary, and the indicated value of $143.62 uh, uh, per square foot was within the range of the ALMC property that recently sold in our community from 120 to 489 a square foot and had a medium 205. Now, the 489, that's a single, uh, it's a net lease uh, property, uh, Silverado Red Rock, it's uh, off of, uh, it's in the, uh, um, Las Vegas Tech Center area there, and uh, it's, it's, it's relatively new, it's like 2006, so there's a huge difference there, and it is an MC-only property with 60 beds. So it, it has kind of set a high water mark. We're not suggesting that this property would come even close to that, but it is evidence, it's in the marketplace. I think the 143 is, is, is fairly well supported on that. On page 307 is our consolidated uh, capitalization summary. We bring all our capitalization summaries together to, to, uh, to coalesce them. The total indicated value of 42,401,224 represents the reasonable full cash value that we project prudent and opportunistic management could achieve based on the information that we've been able to be provided to at this time. The assessor is recommending a reduction in taxable value from the 52 change to 42,401 and uh, $224. That concludes our, our direct presentation. If you'd like to hear any information based upon what the kind of analysis we did on a broad brush highs and best use, I'm happy to provide that. Does anybody want to wind Tom up and see how long you can go? <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't, don't tempt me. <laughs> 15 bucks a foot, uh, you think that could bring it to 
$1.15 and they would lease an entire, that entire facility? I, I really do. There, in this particular case, it's because you, you have no demising, you have no carpeting, you have painting. Um, and some of the places, I, I, you've got to remember this, much of the, and even in the pictures, I'm, I was gratified to see, we weren't able to get into the property, uh, look so actually pretty just solid. based on the memory care facilities you've seen, if that's a, you know, you're, what you're saying is a feasible or highest misuse of the property. Yes. 15 would get you to what would be a memory care facility that you find. Yeah, if you think about it, let's, let, let's if, if it, if, it if doesn't seem like a me, I, I'm happy to get into the highest misuse because we deal with some of these issues. Um, that deal tell how we got to the reasonable reasonability of that assessment. Can I can I proceed with that? Sure. Okay. Thank you. Uh, in our analysis, we took into consideration one information provided by the appellant that as of the 2018 that modernization and repair, which may or may not include necessary abatement for asbestos, that's been left out of the. We don't know if that includes it. Was estimated 220 million, roughly 860 per square foot in 2018 dollars. But that's really a, a real build. And what are they doing there? They're standardizing and bringing it up to hospital use. That has licensed, clear-cut definitions of, of, of care. Limiting its recondition, which limits its reconditioning to hospital use. That any potential reuse of the property in order to be feasible would necessarily be of a non-friable nature. If you're gonna reuse the property, you can't be breaking down the walls, you can't, you, you can't be touching that along that line. And that the original use of the portion of the property that was uh, 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 the Four Seasons uh, nursing home. That, that's what its original use was for. So it's designed at that level. On the continuum of care, the level of acuity ranges from assisted living, memory care, skilled nursing, long-term acute care, and short-term acute care. Basically, short-term uh, STACs are, are, are hospitals themselves. Assisted care would not be a viable reuse of the property because of the units for this level of service contain chichenettes and kitchens. This would require significant outlay for plumbing, et cetera, that is not in the walls at all, and would materially disturb the roughly 37,301 square feet of space that is impacted by asbestos. Long-term acute care facilities at the other end of the scale are very similar to hospital build, and the modernization and repair to accommodate this level has already been ruled out, and they are almost identical to hospital build in most cases. That leaves skilled nursing and memory care. Because of our research into skilled nursing facilities, their occupancies and the impacts of decisions at the payor level this was not as attractive as memory care or MC services. As of August of last year, uh, the CMS, uh, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, they every year they update the, the, the payout that they're getting to their different providers of care. And they increased the care to hospitals of at about 3%, but for like LTACs, which are just outside of that, at only 0.8%. Now, I don't know what kind of business you, you guys are familiar with, but a 0.8% increase in, 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 in payout is not even reasonably commensurate with this. So higher level of acuity for this type of use, I think actually in market is, is, is infeasible. The reality is we don't have any being built now and haven't had for the last three years. And there's, I think that's one of the reasons for that. The other part of that reason is that most of the properties that are out there are actually IL, independent living, Assisted living, excuse me. Uh, they offer services for ADL, which is uh, uh, activities of daily living. And then they usually have some smaller component of the property that's uh, involved in, uh, in MC care. Uh, the occupancy in MC is significantly stronger than in, in, in assisted living. And in fact, I personally had an experience with that. Uh, a family member was in one part in, in assisted living and they had a 65, 70% occupancy. And we had to wait five months 
to actually find a bed that would open up in, in the memory care part of, of the world along that line. Um, furthermore, the subject's position in the continuum of care would be closest to an intermediate care facility as an ICF, which would essentially be between an assisted care facility and a skilled nursing facility. There is more nursing care and 24-hour supervision, but not at the level of post-acute or, or skilled nursing care. The reality is that there were very few single-purpose memory care facilities, except for the one that, for example, I just mentioned that just recently sold. To retrofit the property to memory care would require very little renovation to the units, except for maybe the cabinetry that would be added. Essentially, only cabinetry would need to be installed, which can be done in a way that would not disturb the asbestos. The higher number of nurses stations that are present uh, in, in a typical MC environment with all the, the room alerts, call buttons, multi-wiring, et cetera, would be a really great asset. Uh, I've personally been in, in these situations where uh, uh, there's been call-outs from different rooms at the far end of the wings and the staff's muttering to themselves, why do we only have one, one station? Well, in this particular type of environment, uh, you have a significantly greater number of stations. In a hospital or a long-term care facility, you have uh, basically um, a nurse per one to six patients. And when you have, uh, in skilled nursing, you're, you're looking at uh, about one to 20, and in assisted care or memory care, it may even be greater than that. So the property, by definition, would probably be super adequate as far as the, the nursing stations and things like that. I doubt they'd rip them out. They're a tremendous asset for this particular type of use. Uh, the building's already sectioned for smoke doors. Very, very conscious of that in these types of environments, especially when you cannot move patients rapidly, okay? And with modest upgrades to these doors can be upgraded for security swipe, tag swipe capabilities. Uh, an MC property necessarily requires uh, control of patient movement, uh, but it's not the kind of thing where you have, um, where I've been in behavioral hospitals where the doors that do this have been actually built or actually have uh, specifications for 5,000 pounds pressure because they have people actively this is, a, this is a, a, a patient profile where somebody would push on it and realize they're not getting out the door. So a, a much lower type of cost for that. The synergy of having adjacent quick care and easy access to physician visits is a really true benefit. Most of these services, like for example, even skilled nursing, they don't have physicians on site. What they do is they actually allow you to call out and, and arrange for, for these types of uh, visits and, and, and the, your loved one is transported to them. To be able to have this next door as part of it would be phenomenal. So uh, I'm, sold. For, I'm sold. I'm okay. sold. Yeah. No, I, I think uh, okay. I, I don't want to cut you. Well, I do actually want to cut you short. One sentence, <laughs> okay. one sentence yeah. and then you can cut me off. It said the need for the memory care space is expected to escalate dramatically over the next five to 10 years. I think that's well known. And I think that in this particular case, because of the type of price point that we're providing for this particular property, we would actually have a significant uptake for this kind of, uh, this kind of facility. Thank you, by the way. That was, uh, to the petitioner, I mean, that's, that's pretty I, good. How do I follow that? Yeah, <laughs> well, so I, I, the only thing I can think of yeah. is, is two things. Is there any stabilization cost here? Because this is, you're, you're valuing it as a... I'm, I'm sorry. I have to give you the opportunity to rebut. Do you need some oxygen? No, no. <laughs> I don't know if I can use as many words as Tom. But uh, <laughs> frankly speaking, I the reason why I'm here is I was expecting to get more information about this hospital and the defi deficiencies of it. I clearly got a couple pictures and a little chart. Um, and I mean, to clarify one, ish, one point on that chart, 220 million estimate, 
one, the tower it mentions would actually be a brand new tower, so that'd be a new build. So it's really not 220 mil to renovate the whole thing. It's still a substantial sum. Um, but yeah, no, I, he makes good points. I really, again, was hoping I would be able to get more information for, from the hospital themselves, be able to present it to you and be like, hey, these are the true, like, dollar for dollar, what's going on? I, I wasn't able to do that. I'm, and I'm, so, so there's nothing to refute? No, okay. no. I think he did a great job, and it's been a pleasure working with Tom. Thank you. Who, uh, who wants to pull his string this time? Nobody. I, I just, uh, again, um, stabilization cost, you, you have a stabilized figure here um, to lease it to a memory care facility. I mean, is, is there any period uh, for lost rent to get there? Mike. Thank you. Um, and now I understand your, the, the, the direction of your question, and it is a good one. Um, in, in typical type of retail or office types of properties, you know, whether it's multi-tenant or whatever, then you're expecting some sort of absorption in the marketplace to fill that in. In these types of uh, absolute net type leases, they lease the property in its entirety. And so the occupancy, whether the bed, whether they have 40% utilization, bed utilization, or 100% bed utilization is not really particularly relevant. This is kind of a, a good point though, in the sense that these, these types of leases are typically uh, constructed around a 85% uh, bed utilization. So in, in, history, in, in recent history, we've had, uh, because of the COVID and what, we've had property suffering because they're at like 60%, 50% in bed utilization. Now that's almost completely gone. Most properties are at that level or, 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 or beyond 2019. So that's not an issue. So if somebody were to, if they were to master lease this to a, a major um, uh, ALMC provider, they would come in, sign the lease, and it's from day one. It's but day how one. long do you think it would take to do that? If they were to put it, it on the market right now and, and you know go to all these companies and say, hey, we have a product, when will they start paying rent? I don't think, I don't think it would go on the market that way. I think the ownership would actually uh, propose that it be leased by somebody who provides that level of care because they're certainly not, it's not their business model. Sure, but how, how long before somebody starts paying rent if I they think made that decision today? In, in, in this particular case, I'm thinking because of the rental rate, again, I really believe that you know, pricing is a part of comp competitive differential. I would think that would happen rather rather quickly. They're building these, or they were building these things, and it was costing them 450 bucks a foot. If they could get in and lease that at 140, uh, effectively, I think that they'd be lining up for this. So again, about six months, a year. Six, six months. Six months. Six months. And then you know, they're... okay, that sounds short to to just pull the trigger and say from today. But uh, six months, you would deduct that possibly for lost rent. So that's a million six-ish, right? From, uh, for a year potential gross income of um, three, four, or three, three. That's, a, that's right. reasonable, that, okay. that's reasonable. And then I guess the second thing would be, we're now breaking this down to three different, uh, three different properties, right? And so when we're looking at it, you're valuing them individually, is there a bulk discount for the total valuation of these three properties. And I, maybe on your end, I'm just asking the board, would you think there would be some type of bulk discount given if you were to value all these properties as a single economic unit? Sure, but I have 
a couple questions. Great, if I can. Uh, Chairman, I, I believe all of these buildings are on one parcel. Um, I, I believe. They are, yeah. Okay. Sure. But if they were sold, they could be subdivided and sold out to three different. They would have to be mapped that way, but they are yeah. not currently mapped that way. Well, this is just how. If I just I want to make sure you know. Okay. That's all. Perfect. You know, let's 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 think about that in in that sense. Our analysis, which we were using, you know, price per square foot and some things like that for the economic value that was generated by those particular property types, um, and and I really like where you're going with this, um, because. In a different position, I would I would look at it that way. Um, my thinking on this place was, we have a, a, a hospital owner, and they're looking at this building and they don't know what to do with it. Okay, so they're trying to make some use of the office over here as best they can. They've got a a, 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 a Fed over here that they think at least we could utilize that now because that's been that's been kept up with standardization, and so my way of looking at this and and maybe it's wrong, was to look at this and say what would be the economic value for this economic unit to that ownership. Because at that point, that's gonna establish our floor, if you will, for our assessment. Now, I, I back up that valuation by subdividing it, if you will, and to distinct groups, and then being able to analyze it along that way. But the reality is, in my mind, I was never really considering it being sold separately. It's a valid question. And I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't look at it that way, and I haven't investigated that. Thank you, Tom. Um, when you were doing your highest and best use and looking at the market of memory care facilities, what's the highest unit count you came across? In terms of beds? The, the bed, bed count's fine. Yeah. A bed count is fine. The, the largest one that uh, I've been able to identify is 60. And that's in uh, 60 units, 60 beds in the uh, Silverado Red Rock. Uh, most of them are 48, 36, 24. So, so do you think 293 beds is a bit ambitious for this uh, project? Not at this price point. If you went out to market at the same price as they're paying at uh, Silverado, absolutely, without question. And put it this way, let's, let's, let's put some teeth on, there, on your question. Um, uh, relation was in assisted care, went into memory care. It was about $6,200 a month. Uh, was there for four years. Uh, on an annual basis, that's more than the average income for most of the pe for, for, for the average person in Clark County itself. So I think that it's reasonable to say that that's reasonably out of touch for most people. So well, we're, we're comparing case, apples and oranges. Well, what I'm saying is okay. if we can, if, yeah, that's true. If we can cut that in half, that opens up a significantly greater market space, uh, and I think the demand would be met based on, on that alone. But that, that's a, that's a supposition. I don't I don't have a hard one. Number. One is a going concern operation where they're uh, getting bed uh, monthly bed rents. This is a real estate. Correct. Rent. Correct. We so do you have any comps on that? Uh, on the on that? the going concern or on no the, no, but what you. What you've yes. modeled in your income. Yes, yes, yes. I think you'll see that on page um, uh, 304 is where we have the lease comps for AL and MC type property. And it's, it's broken down there, by the way, in terms of, uh, oh, excuse me, 304 in the addenda. Uh, it's broken down by uh, a, a density 
a monthly uh, uh, per density. And then secondly, also on a, on a current monthly rate per square foot. You can kind of go both ways. Um, there was another case that we are not going to hear today that was also recently sold, and it's a skilled nursing facility, and they're 18,000 a bed, but $3 a foot. And, and they're actually, uh, their, their lease, which I have information on, uh, a 15 year, uh, three, uh, three, five years with 2% escalations, um, that was based on a, on a, on a, on a net away, uh, 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 $3 per square foot. I've escalated that from the original lease, by the way, by 2% to get to that level. So we can, for this type of property, we can talk to both of those data points. Um, I think based upon this class of property, and it would be true for um, uh, independent living as well, I mean, uh, uh, assisted living, is that the person who's master leasing it is taking on a significant amount of additional space that you would not have in a skilled nursing facility or in an LTAC, a, a long-term care facility. So that's why they tend to be master leases for the whole property, and it's, a, it's just an annual rate. So at that point, um, how many beds have they licensed uh, and, and how many square feet there to come to those numbers? Mr. Steiner, you had something to say? I, I, not anymore, no. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Raines actually asked the question I was going to, so. Okay. Evan, did you have anything else? I, I'm also, the, the $15, I'm having a hard time with the $15. I like your idea, your memory care idea. I think it would be a good thing for the community even. Um, or homeless or drug rehab or something, but it, and I, what a hard property, like you draw, drew the short straw kind of property to appraise. This is a tough one and you had to put something on it and this is a great way. I liked, I liked your memory care idea, but I think the $15 and the 143, $15 feels a little low and the 143 feels a little high. Um, I, I, I really was in a large degree spitballing that, so I don't have any so when I doubled, with that. yeah, when I doubled your renovation costs, um, that took it down to to twenty eight seven fifty nine five eighty one, and the price per square foot down to one twenty seven twenty, which felt better than one one forty three feels sort of high, um, and fifteen dollars seems just really kind of low. <laughs> so um, anyway, I saw Luke penciling over there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm doing a different set of math, but my math coincidentally ends up with the same approximate discount as what you're arguing, so I could go either way. You know, uh, I'm working about like $3.2 million reduction, which is somewhat in line with what you're and looking at. And mine too. Mine took it down to $38,687,000. million six eighty-seven. How, how much? What is that? Uh, is that about three point? Well, it doubled. Uh, basically, I just doubled the the three. Well, three seven. I doubled three, to three, seven. the fifteen. Well, I went to page, page uh, three hundred three, and he's got the renovation cost in there of three million seven. In red down at the bottom. Three, yeah, three million seven. Yeah. Um, I just. I'm, I mean, it, that would that number approximate number would address my absorption issue and uh, any discount that I would apply to the other numbers. So. Um, I'm like I'm at 3.2. You're at 3.7. I think your number just doubling it is a much easy, easier math um, and argument to make. So I would go with that. I'll do. The, you got the math. 
So we're talking about memory care and that type of use. What's the difference between, or would that, that would be a highest and best use, but would this also be considered for what it originally was, is the office, medical office, or what are your thoughts? The, the, the memory care, the office portion is, is, is analyzed separately, but for this portion, it actually is going back to its original use, which was convalescent care. Skilled, skilled nursing. Excuse me, we're uncertain about that. It was called the Four Seasons Nursing Home. Um, in some cases, that can imply a skilled nursing facility type of care, which really, when you think about it, they don't, there's nothing in the facility that's different than a memory care. It's just you have more nurses. So and I don't know that. I, I simply don't know that. Going, going back to your... Your, your uh, rent comps, did you ascertain how many of these were billed to suits? And that was unreported. No, I don't, ha I don't have that. I can, from memory, on the rest of my, my spreadsheet. And you gave us a six month, lease up was that? Lease oh, you gave it no lease up. So we're to assume that someone is ready to jump in and take this on to do 293 beds in a market that the highest bed count is 60. Uh, for, gonna, for, for an individual unit, uh, is that what you mean? Because well, the market has thousands of beds. Right, but only the, the largest operator is doing in one location is 60. I mean, I, to me, it's, it's, there's so many assumptions in here. True. I don't know how useful any of this is. Not that I don't appreciate the intent and the need that we have in this community and the work that Tom's put in. But I don't know how useful it is for what we're doing, trying to figure out what the assessed we got to use something. I mean, I, am I right? At the end of the over, day, we got to figure it out. I mean, we can do, so one year would be 3-4. Um, uh, Chair Campa's uh, is at 3-7, I'm uh, at 3-2. I mean, it just depends on how you're going to discount it and, you know, if you want to throw a number out there. Chairman Farr, if I could just make a statement. The petitioner has put their argument forth that they disagree with the replacement cost. I think what we have to get back to is what do we have and what we are required to do by law. We're required to revalue what is in place based on the market value of the land and the replacement costs. New, less the depreciation, which is 1.5% per year for the um, items that are improved upon the property. So that's where the crux of where we start, um, just as we've talked about earlier today. The analysis that... Um, Mr. Wolofsek has done, which is great. Um, we're not discrediting that. It's just a manner of which to say, okay, if it did this, you know, we're testing the value. The, the bottom line is, is have we exceeded full cash value on this property? Is it worth what we currently have valued at, at with the market value of the land and the replacement cost? And is, is anything that's been put forth today reasonable? So I think what really, if you could get back to 
the way we valued the cost, the way they valued the cost? Is there something in that analysis that seems wrong that we did where we didn't include something that they've included or they've excluded something that we, um, that they should have included and, and see, because that's really what the petitioner's argument is. Um, they haven't brought any other evidence to say that we've exceeded full cash value. So if that helps the board, um, just putting that out there. Thank you. I would like to go back to the petitioner and ask, I think it was asked, you, had, you didn't have this appraised? We do not, <clears throat> excuse me, we do not have an appraisal for this property. So your argument is based on what? Our, the cost provided, yeah. So essentially what our argument is, is the closed down pro, excuse me, the closed down sections of the hospital essentially are not use, are not in use and we're depreciating them to that 75%, which is based on what my knowledge is would be a maximum allowable for Nevada. Um, and then we're running a cost for the usable square footage or the space in use for the freestanding emergency department or emergency department and then the two medical office buildings. Um, so that that's how our cost approach is developed. It's a pretty simplistic cost approach, frankly, um, because there are so many moving parts here. And like we've just, you know, had a discussion about there's a lot going on with this property. So I tried to keep it as simple as possible. So I could explain it to you guys, frankly. So you know you have no argument on uh, that this is assessment is exceeds cash value. I don't believe it's worth fifty one million. If that's what you're asking, no. That's your argument, Bill. The assessors dropped at the forty two four hundred one two twenty four. And so our, I believe, I do believe there is room to work on that. Again, our cost approach comes in just over thirty six million. So that's where I'd put our requested value at. Um, However, well, Thomas has good information, so I'm not going to sit here and try and nitpick his information because they're just two different approaches. Do I think this facility would work with as many units, over 200 units? I do skilled nursing memory cares across the country. I've never seen one that big, so I'd, it'd be hard-pressed to see an operator come in and operate that big of a facility. Um, so that'd be my main contention with his income approach or this capitalization approach. However, like was mentioned, I didn't bring any income information to dispute it. So uh, I just, I do think that the unit count number would be significantly higher than probably any operator around the country would want to deal with, frankly. I think that was done as a test of reasonableness, yeah. and right? I, and and mm -hmm. frankly, they're, they're it's almost a 20% deduction mm -hmm. in the assessed value year over year. Mm -hmm. Or from the fifty from the fifty one six to the forty two four. So I, you know, I, I even I'm not even sure about the applicability of, of lease up costs or or even the additional TI when we're bringing or not we but the assessors bringing down the assessed value almost twenty percent. I think they were were looking for a reason to bring it down and and made it look really convincing to me, right? Um, any other comments from the board before somebody makes a motion? 
because I believe Tammy and Luke were along the same lines. Did either of you care to make the motion? Okay, if we go to page 303, just so, because I think it will come off of one building, not the other two, um, and we go to the renovation costs, which he had approximately $15, but it really the, with the square footage is slightly different, but if you double the 37, the 3,713,786, and you double that, and then you deduct that, you end up with, 28,759,581 for that property. And then when I went down to the page that he had all three of them, um, page 307, where he's got all three of them at 42,401,224, and then I deducted out the 32,473,367 and I added in um, the 28,759,581, and I arrived at a total real property value for all three of them at 38,687,438. So that's how I got there, and that's my motion. Motion's been made. Please cast your votes. Motion passes. The assessor does have the right to appeal, just so you're aware. Thank you all for your time this or morning. Okay. we have any uh, additional remaining cases that have been stipulated to or withdrawn? There are no additional cases. Um, so if the board could just vote on the remaining cases that are on the agenda um, that have been stipulated withdrawn or there has been no appearance of a petitioner today. I motion to accept the assessor's recommendations on cases, on any cases where the petitioners did not attend this hearing and those that have been stamped stipulated or withdrawn, please cast your votes. And Mr. Chair and Madam Facilitator, I apologize. Would this still apply to item number 11, or did we go to item number 8 for this particular matter? No, this is item 11. Okay. And pardon me, I will bring that up once more. That motion passes. Open the microphone for any public comment. Seeing none, I'll close the microphone. Is there any other business, Ms. Wagner? Uh, just to announce that we have two more hearings, February 26th on Monday. Um, there are 75 pending cases for that day. And Wednesday, February 28th, uh, 16 cases for a total of 91 cases yet to be resolved. Excellent. Thank you for your time. This meeting's adjourned.